the first question. Is Zen the path of surrender? Then how come the basic teaching of Buddha is be a light unto yourself? The essential surrender happens within you. It has nothing to do with anybody outside you. The basic surrender is a relaxation, a trust. So don't be misguided by the word. Linguistically, surrender means to surrender to somebody. But religiously, surrender simply means trust, relaxing. It is an attitude rather than an act. You live through trust. Let me explain. You swim in water, you go to the river and swim. What do you do? You trust water. A good swimmer trusts so much that he almost becomes one with the river. He is not fighting. He does not grab the water. He is not stiff and tense. If you are stiff and tense, you will be drowned. If you are relaxed, the river takes care. That's why whenever somebody dies, the dead body floats on the water. This is a miracle, amazing. The alive person died and was drowned by the river and the dead person simply floats on the surface. What has happened? The dead person knows some secret about the river which the alive persons did not know. The alive person was fighting. The river was the enemy. He was afraid. He could not trust. But the dead person not being there, how can he fight? The dead person is totally relaxed with no tension. Suddenly the body surfaces, the river takes care. No river can drown a dead person. Trust means you are not fighting. Surrender means you don't think life as the enemy, but as the friend. Once you trust the river, suddenly you start enjoying. A tremendous delight arises in you. Splashing, swimming, or just floating, or diving deep, but you are not separate from the river. You merge. You become one. 
Surrender means to live the same way in life as a good swimmer swims in the river. A life is a river. Either you can fight or you can float. Either you can push the river and try to go against the current or you can float with the river and go wherever the river leads you. Surrender is not towards somebody. It is simply a way of life. A God is not needed to surrender. There are religions which believe in God. There are religions which don't believe in any God. But all the religions believe in surrender. So surrender is the real God. Even the concept of God can be discarded. Buddhism does not believe in any God. Jainism does not believe in any God. But they are religions. Christianity believes in God. Islam believes in God. Sikhism believes in God. They are also religions. The Christian teaches surrender to God. God is just an excuse to surrender. It is an help. Because it will be difficult for you, for you to surrender without any object. The object is just an excuse. So that in the name of God you can surrender. Buddhism says simply surrender. There is no God. You relax. It is not a question of some object. It is a question of your own subjectivity. Relax. Don't fight. Accept. The belief in God is not needed. In fact, the word belief is ugly. It does not sow trust. It does not sow faith. Belief is almost the very opposite of faith. The word belief comes from a root, leaf. Leaf means to desire, to wish. Now let me explain it to you. You say, I believe in God, the compassionate. What exactly you are saying? You are saying, I wish that there was a God who is compassionate. Whenever you say, I believe, you say that I intensely desire. But you don't know. If you know, there is no question of belief. Do you believe in the trees here? Do you believe in the sun which arises every morning? Do you believe in the stars? No question of belief. You know that the sun is there, the trees are there. Nobody believes in the sun, otherwise you will say he is mad. If somebody comes and says, I believe in sun, and tries to convert you, you will say, you have gone mad. I have heard one anecdote. A certain lady, Lady Luce, was appointed 
ambassador to Italy by the United States of America. She was a recently converted Catholic and of course when people become converted they are very enthusiastic and she was boring everybody. Whosoever will come in contact she will try to make him a Catholic. The story goes when she went to Italy as the ambassador, she went to see the Pope. A long discussion followed. It went on and on. One press reporter slipped closer and closer just to hear what is going on. Pope has never given so much time to anybody. And the discussion seems to be very heated and hot. There is going something. And when the Pope is talking so long to the ambassador of the richest and the strongest nation in the world, there is going to be some news. Just to overhear, he came closer and closer. He could hear only one sentence. The Pope was saying in a faltering English, Lady, you don't understand me. I am already a Catholic. <laughs> she was trying to convert. Pope, if somebody comes and says to you, believe in the Son, you will say, I am already a Catholic. I already believe you, don't be worried about it. Because you know. Somebody asked Sri Aurobindo, do you believe in God? He says, no. Of course the questioner was very much shocked. He had come from far away, from Germany. And, and he was a great seeker of God. And he was hoping much, and this man simply says a flat no. He said, but uh, I was thinking that you have known him. Arvindo says, yes, I have known him, but I don't believe in him. Once you know, what is the point of belief? Belief is in ignorance. If you know, you know. And it is good if you don't know, know that you don't know. The belief can deceive you. The belief can create an atmosphere in your mind where without knowing you start thinking that you know. Belief is not trust. And the stronger you say that I believe totally, the more you are afraid of the doubt within you. Trust knows no doubt. Belief is just repressing the doubt. It is a desire. When you say, I believe in God, you say, I cannot live without God. It will be too difficult to exist in this darkness, surrounded by death, without a concept of God. That concept helps. 
one doesn't feel alone one doesn't feel unprotected insecure hence belief martin luther has written that my god is a great fortress these words cannot come from a man who trusts my god is a great fortress martin luther seems to be on the defensive even god even god is just a fortress to protect you to feel you secure then it is out of fear that sentence that god is my greatest fortress is born out of fear not out of love it is not of trust deep down there is doubt and fear trust is simple it is just like a child trusts in his mother not that he believes belief has yet not entered you were a small child someday did you believe in your mother are you trusted the doubt has not arisen so what is the question of belief belief comes only when the doubt has entered doubt comes first later on to suppress the doubt you catch hold of a belief trust is when doubt disappears trust is when doubt is not there for instance you breathe you take a breath in then you exhale you breathe out are you afraid in breathing out because who knows it may come back it may not come back you trust you trust it will come of course there is no reason to trust what is the reason why it should come back you can at the most say in the past it has been happening so but that is not a guarantee it may not happen in the future if you become afraid of breathing out because it may not come back then you will hold your breath in that is what belief is clinging holding but if you hold your breath in your face will go purple and you will feel suffocated and if you go on doing that you will die all beliefs suffocate and all beliefs help you not to be really alive they deaden your being you excel you trust in life the buddhist word nirvana simply means exhaling out
trusting, breathing out. Trust is a very, very innocent phenomenon. Belief is of the head, trust is of the heart. One simply trusts life, because you are out of life, you live in life, you will go back again to the source. There is no fear. You are born, you live, you will die. There is no fear. You will be born again, you will live again, you will die. It is a wheel. The same life that has given you life can always give you more life. So why be afraid? Why cling to beliefs? Beliefs are man-made. Trust is God-made. Beliefs are philosophical. Trust has nothing to do with philosophy. Trust simply shows that you know what love is, not a concept of God who is sitting somewhere in the heaven and manipulating and managing. Trust needs no God. This infinite life, this totality is more than enough. Once you trust, you relax. That relaxation is surrender. Now, is Zen the path of surrender? Yes. Religion as such is surrendering, relaxing. Don't cling to anything. Clinging shows that you don't trust life. Muhammad used to distribute every evening whatsoever he had collected in the day. All. Not even a single pie he will save for tomorrow. Because he says, the same source that has given today will give me tomorrow. If it has happened today, why be untrusting about tomorrow? Why save? But when he was dying and he was very ill, the wife became worried. Even in the midnight, a physician may be needed. So five rupees, five dinars, she saved that evening. Afraid that nobody knows, he may become too much ill in the night and some medicine may be needed. And in the middle of the night, where I will go? Or a doctor may be needed and the feast will have to be given. 
not saying anything to Muhammad, she said five dinars. Near about the midnight, Muhammad opened his eyes and he said, I feel certain untrust around me. It seems something has been saved. The wife became very much afraid and she said, Excuse me, but thinking that something may be needed in the night, I have saved just five dinars. Muhammad said, You go out and give it to somebody. She said, In this mid of the night, who is going to be there? Muhammad said, You just listen and let me die peacefully. Otherwise, I will feel guilty, guilty against my God. And if he will ask me, I will feel ashamed that at the last moment I died in deep untrust. You go out. The wife went out, of course unbelieving, but a beggar was standing there. When she came back, Muhammad said, Look, he manages well. And if we need, then a donor will be standing outside the door. You don't be worried. He pulled over his blanket and died immediately, relaxed totally. Clinging to anything, anything whatsoever, shows distress. If you love a woman or a man and you cling, that simply shows you don't trust. If you love a woman and you say, tomorrow also you will be loving me or not, if you go to the court to get married, you don't trust. You trust more in the court, in the police, in the law, than in love. You are preparing for tomorrow. If this woman or this man tries to deceive you tomorrow or leaves you in the ditch, you can take the support from the court and the police and the law will be with you and the whole society will support you. You are making arrangements afraid. But if you really love, love is enough, more than enough. Who bothers about tomorrow? But deep down there is doubt. Even while you think you are in love, doubt continues. A report, a story is said, when Jesus resurrected after his crucifixion, the first person to see him back alive was Mary Magdalene. She had loved him tremendously. She ran towards him. 
In the New Testament it is said, Jesus says, don't touch me. I became a little suspected. Because Jesus in saying, don't touch me, does not look right. Something somewhere has gone wrong. Of course it is okay if a Pope says, don't touch me. But a Jesus saying, don't touch me, almost impossible. So I try to find the, the original. In the original there is a word, hatir, a Greek word, which can mean both touch or cling. Then I found the key. Jesus says, don't cling to me, not don't touch me. But the translators have interpreted it as don't touch me. The interpreter has entered his own mind in it. Jesus must have said, don't cling to me. Because if there is trust, there is no clinging. If there is love, there is no clinging. You simply say without any clinging. You say in deep relaxedness. Surrendering means surrendering to life. Surrendering to the source from where you come. And where one day you will go back again. You are just like a wave in the ocean. You come out of the ocean, you go back to the ocean. Surrendering means trusting in the ocean. And of course what a wave can do except that. The wave has to trust the ocean. And whether you trust or not, you remain part of the ocean. Non-trusting, you will create anxiety, that's all. Nothing will change, only you will become anxious, tense, desperate. If you trust, you flower, you bloom, you celebrate, knowing well that deep down is your mother's, your ocean. When tired, you will go back and rest in her being again. When rested, you will come back again to have a test of the sky and the sunlight and the stars. Surrendering is trusting and it has nothing to do with any concept of God, any ideology of God. It is an attitude. And then you can understand the meaning of Buddha's last utterance, be a light unto yourself. When he says, be a light unto yourself, he means, if you surrender to life, you have become a light unto yourself. Then the life leads you. Then you always live in enlightenment. 
When he says, be a light unto yourself, he is saying, don't follow anybody. Don't cling to anybody. Learn from everybody, but don't cling to anybody. Be open, vulnerable. But remain on your own. Because finally, the religious experience cannot be a borrowed experience. It has to be existential, it has to be your own. Only then it is authentic. If I say something and you believe in it, it is not going to help. If I say something and you search and you surrender and you trust, then you also experience the same. Then it has become a light unto yourself. Otherwise my words will remain words. At the most they can become beliefs. Unless you experience the truth of them, they cannot become trust. They cannot become your own truth. My truth cannot be yours. Otherwise it would have been very cheap. If my truth could have been yours, then there was no problem. That is the difference between scientific truth and religious truth. A scientific truth can be borrowed. A scientific truth once known becomes everybody else's property. Albert Einstein discovered the theory of relativity. Now there is no need for everybody to discover it again and again and again. That will be foolish. Once discovered, it has become public. Now it is everybody's theory. Once discovered, once proved, now even a school child can learn it. Now no genius is needed. You need not be an Albert Einstein. Just a mediocre mind will do. Just an ordinary mind will do. You can understand it. And it is yours. Of course, Einstein had to work for years. Then he came to discover it. You need not work, just few hours. If you are ready to understand and put your mind to it, you will understand. But the same is not true about religious truth. Buddha discovered, our Christ discovered, our Nanak, our Kabir. But their discovery cannot become your discovery. You will have to rediscover again. You will have to move again from ABC. You cannot just believe in them. That won't help. And that's what humanity has been doing. Mistaking religious truth for scientific truth. It is not scientific truth. It can never become a public property. Each individual has to come to it alone. Each individual has to come to it 
again and again. It can never become available in the market. You will have to pass through the hardship. You will have to seek and search. And the same path you will have to follow. It cannot be even made a shortcut. You will have to pass through the same austerities as a Buddha and the same difficulties as the Buddha. And you will have to suffer the same calamities on the path as the Buddha. And you will remain in the same hazard as the Buddha. And one day, when the clouds disappear, you will dance and be as ecstatic as the Buddha. Of course, when an Archimedes discovers, he runs naked in the streets. Ereka, I have found it. You can understand Archimedes within minutes, within seconds. But you will not be ecstatic. Otherwise, every school child will run naked in the street. Ereka, nobody is doing that since Archimedes did it. Only once. For Archimedes it was a discovery. Since then it has become a public property. It is good that the religious truth cannot be transferred to you. Otherwise, you will never achieve to the same ecstasy as Buddha or Jesus or Krishna. Never. Because you will learn it in a school, in a school textbook. Any fool will transfer it to you. Then the whole orgasmic experience will be lost. It is good that religious experience has to be experienced individually. Nobody can lead you there. People can indicate the way. And those indications are very subtle. Don't take them literally. Buddha said, be a light unto yourself. He is saying that remember, my truth cannot be your truth. My light cannot be your light. Imbibe the spirit from me. Become more thirsty from me. Let your search be intense, be totally devoted to it. Learn the devotion of a truth seeker from me. But the truth, but the light will burn within you. You will have to kindle it within you. You cannot borrow it. Truth cannot be transferred. It is not a property. It is such a subtle experience. It cannot even be expressed. It is inexpressible. One at the most tries to give few hints. The second question, 
please explain the nature of the experiences we call boredom and restlessness. Boredom and restlessness are deeply related. Whenever you feel boredom, then you feel restlessness. Restlessness is a byproduct of boredom. Try to understand the mechanism. Whenever you feel bored, you want to move away from that situation. Somebody is saying something and you are getting bored. You start becoming fidgety. Subtle indications that you want to move from this place, from this man, from this nonsense talk, your body starts moving. Of course, because of politeness, you suppress it. But the body is already on the move, because body is more authentic than the mind and body is more honest and sincere than the mind. The mind is trying to be polite, is smiling. You say, how beautiful! And inside you are saying, how horrible! <laughs> and I have listened to this story so many times and he is telling it again. I have heard about Albert Einstein's wife, Fra Einstein. A friend of Albert Einstein used to come many times and Einstein will say some anecdote, some joke and will laugh. He became curious about one thing. Whenever he will come and whenever Einstein will start saying jokes, Einstein was a Jew and Jews have the best jokes of the world. because they have suffered so long. They have lived by jokes. Their life has been so miserable that they had to tickle themselves. Hence they have the most beautiful jokes. No other country, no other race can compete with them. In India we don't have good jokes at all because the country has lived very peacefully. No need to tickle. Humor is needed when one is in constantly danger. One needs to laugh at anything. Any excuse will do to laugh. And Einstein will say some joke, some anecdote, some story, and they both will laugh. The friend became curious because whenever Einstein will start saying something, the wife will immediately start knitting or doing something. He asked, why? The moment Einstein starts saying some jokes, why you start knitting? The wife said, if I don't do anything, it will be tremendously difficult for me to tolerate, because I have heard that joke thousand and one times. You come sometimes, I am always here. Anybody comes and he says the same joke. If I don't do something with my hands, I will become so fidgety that it will be almost impolite. So I have to do something, so I can move my 
restlessness into work and I can hide behind the work. Whenever you feel bored, you will feel restless. Restlessness is an indication of the body that the body is saying, move away from here, go anywhere, but don't be here. Mm, but the mind goes on smiling and eyes is sparkling and you go on saying that you are listening and such a beautiful thing, you have never heard it. The mind is civilized, the body is still wild, the body is still animal, and the mind is human, the mind is false, the body is true. The mind knows the rules and regulations, how to behave and how to behave rightly. So even if you see a boar, you say, that I am so happy, so glad to see you. And deep down, if you were allowed, you would kill this man. He tempts you to murder, then you become fidgety, then you feel restlessness. If you listen to the body, and run away. The restlessness will disappear. Try it. Try it. Somebody is boring you, you simply start jumping and running around. <laughs> See, restlessness will disappear. Because restlessness simply shows that the energy does not want to be here. The energy is already on the move. The energy has already left this place. Now you follow energy. So the real thing is to understand boredom, not restlessness. Boredom is a very, very significant phenomenon. Only man feels boredom, no other animal. You cannot make a buffalo bored. <laughs> Impossible. Only man gets bored because only man is conscious. Consciousness is the cause. The more sensitive you are, the more alert you are, the more conscious you are, the more you will feel bored. In more situations you will feel bored. A mediocre mind does not feel so much bored. He goes on, he accepts whatsoever is okay. He is not so alert. The more alert you become, the more fresh, the more you will feel if some situation is just a repetition, if some situation is just getting hard on you, if some situation is just stale, the more sensitive you are, the more bored you will become. Boredom is an indication of sensitivity. Trees are not bored, animals are not bored, rocks are not bored, because they are not sensitive enough 
This has to be one of the basic understandings about your boredom, that you are sensitive. But Buddhas are also not bored. You cannot bore a Buddha. And animals are not bored, and Buddhas are not bored. So boredom exists as a middle phenomenon between the animal and the Buddha. For boredom, a little more sensitivity is needed than it is given to the animal. And if you want to get beyond it, then you have to become totally sensitive. Then again you, the boredom disappears. But in the middle, the boredom is there. Either you become animal-like, boredom disappears. So you will find people who live a very animalistic life are less bored, eating, drinking, marrying. They are not much bored, but they are not sensitive. They live at the minimum. They live only with that much consciousness which is needed for day-to-day routine life. You will find intellectuals, people who think too much, more bored, because they think. And because of their thinking, they can see that something is just a still repetition. Your life is repetition. Every morning you get up, almost the same way as you have been getting up, getting up all your life. You take your breakfast, almost the same. Then you go to the office, the same office, the same people, the same work. Then you come home, the same wife. If you get bored, it is natural. It is very difficult for you to see any newness here. Everything seems to be old, dust-covered. I have heard one anecdote. Mary Jane, the very good friend of a wealthy broker, opened the door cheerfully one day and then quickly attempted to close it when she discovered the person on the threshold to be her lover's wife. The wife leaned against the door and said, Ah, let me in, dear. I don't intend to make a scene, just have a small friendly discussion. With considerable nervousness, Mary Jane left her enter, let her enter, then said cautiously, What do you want? Nothing much, said the wife, looking about. I just want to want the answer to one question. Tell me, dear, just between us, what do you see in that dumb jerk? <laughs> the same husband every day becomes a dumb jerk. The same wife every day. You almost forget how she looks. 
If you are told to close your eyes and remember your wife's face, you will be impossible to remember. Many other women come in, will come in the mind, the whole neighborhood, but not your wife. The relationship has become a continuous repetition. You make love, you hug your wife, you kiss your wife, but those are all empty gestures now. The glory and the glamour has disappeared long before. Almost a marriage is finished by the time the honeymoon is over. Then you go on pretending. But behind those pretensions a deep boredom accumulates. Watch people walking on the street and you will see them completely bored. Everybody is bored, bored to death. Look at their faces. No hour of delight. Look at their eyes, dust covered. No glimmer of inner happiness. They move from the office to the home, from the home to the office, and by and by the whole life becomes a mechanical routine, a constant repetition. And one day they die. And almost always people die without ever having been alive. Burton Russell is reported to have said that when I remember I cannot find more than few moments in my life when I was really alive, a flame. Can you remember? How many moments in your life when you were really aflame? Rarely it happens. One dreams about those moments, one imagines about those moments, hopes for those moments, but they never happen. And even if they happen, sooner or later they also become repetitive. When you fall in love with a woman or a man, you feel a miracle. But by and by the miracle disappears, everything settles to be a routine. Boredom is the consciousness of repetition. Because animals cannot remember the past, they cannot feel bored, they cannot remember the past, so they cannot feel the repetition. The buffalo goes on eating the same grass every day with the same delight. You cannot, because how can you eat the same grass with the same delight? You are fed up. Hence people try to change. They move in a new house. They bring a new car home. They divorce the old husband. They find a new love affair. 
But again that thing is going to become a repetitive sooner or later. Changing places, changing persons, changing partners, changing houses is not going to do anything. And whenever a society becomes very much bored, people start moving from one town to another, from one job to another, from one wife to another. But sooner or later they realize that this is all nonsense. Because the same thing is going to happen again and again with every woman, with every man, with every house, with every car. What to do then? Become more conscious. It is not a question of changing situations. Transform your being. Become more conscious. If you become more conscious, you will be able to see each moment is new, but for that very much tremendous energy of consciousness is needed. The wife is not the same, remember. You are in an illusion. Go back home and look again at your wife, she is not the same. Nobody can be the same, just appearances deceive. These trees are not the same as they were yesterday. How can they be? They have grown. Many leaves have fallen, new leaves have come. Look at the almond, how many new leaves have come. Every day the old are falling, new are coming. But you are not that much conscious. Either no consciousness, then you cannot feel repetition are so much consciousness that you can see in each repetition something new. These are the two ways to get out of boredom. Changing outside things is not going to help. It is just like arranging the furniture in your room again and again. Whatsoever you do, it is the same furniture. You put it this way, then that way. There are many housewives who continuously think about how to manage, how to put things, where to put and where not to put, and they go on changing. But it is the same room, it is the same furniture. How long you will deceive this way? A brief television skit I once saw with a caveman and a cavewoman who were kissing wildly and hysterically. They broke apart only to say, gee, this is great. Then they turned to kissing again. Finally the cavewoman pulled away to say, listen, do you suppose this wonderful thing we have discovered means we are married? The caveman bent his small mind to the matter and finally said, Yes, I guess, we are married. Now let us kiss some more. Whereupon the cavewoman put her hand to her head and said in sudden anguish, Ah, I have such a headache. Two persons meet strangers, 
everything is wonderful, beautiful. But sooner our getters, they become acquainted with each other. That's what marriage means. That means now they are settling. Now they would like to make it a repetition. Then the same kissing and the same hugging is no more beautiful. It becomes almost a duty. One man came home and he found his friend kissing his wife. He took away the friend into another room. The friend was trembling with fear, now there is going to be something. The friendship is broken and the friend seems to be very angry, but he was not. He closed the door and asked the friend, just tell me one thing. I have to, but why you were kissing? I have to, but why you were kissing? By and by everything settles, newness disappears, and you don't have that much consciousness or that quality of consciousness which can go on finding the new again and again. For a dull mind everything is old. For a totally alive mind there is nothing old under the sun. Cannot be. Everything is in flux. Every person is in flux, is river-like. Persons are not dead things. How they can be the same? Are you the same? When you had come this morning to listen to me, and when you will go back home, a lot has happened in between. Some thoughts have disappeared from your mind, some other thoughts have entered your mind. You may have attained to a new insight. You cannot go the same as you had come. The river is continuously flowing. It looks the same, but it is not the same. The old Heraclitus has said, you cannot step twice in the same river. Because the river is never the same. One thing, and you are also not the same. Another thing, everything is changing. But then one has to live at the peak of consciousness. Either live like a Buddha or live like a buffalo. Then you will not be bored. Now the choice is yours. I have never seen anybody the same. You come to me. How many times you have come to me? But I never see the old.
I am always surprised by the newness that you bring every day. You may not be aware about it. Remain capable of being surprised. Let me tell you one anecdote. One man entered a bar deep in private thoughts of his own. He turned to a woman just passing and said, Pardon me, Miss, do you happen to have the time? In a, in a strident voice he responded, How do you dare make such a proposition to me? The man snapped to attention in surprise and was uncomfortably aware that every pair of eyes in the place had turned in their direction. He mumbled, I just asked the time, miss. In a voice even louder the woman shrieked, I will call the police if you say another word. Grabbing his drink and embarrassed very nearly to death, the man hastened to the far end of the room and huddled at a table, holding his breath and wondering how soon he could sneak out the door. Not more than half a minute had passed when the woman joined him. In a quiet voice he said, I am terribly sorry, sir, to have embarrassed you, but I am a psychology student at the university and I am writing a thesis on the reaction of human beings to sudden shocking statements. <laughs> the man stared at her for three seconds, then he leaned back and bellowed, You will do all that for me all night for just two dollars? <laughs> and it is said the woman fell down, <laughs> unconscious. Maybe we don't allow our consciousness to rise higher because then life will be a constant surprise and you may not be able to manage it. That's why you have settled for a dull mind. There is some investment in it. You are not dull for no reason. You are dull for a certain purpose. Because if you are really alive, then everything will be surprising and shocking. If you remain dull, then nothing surprises you. Nothing is shocking. The more dull you are, the whole life seems to be dull to you. If you become more aware, the life will also become more alive, alive, livelier, and there is going to be difficulty. You always live with dead expectations. Every day you come home, you expect a certain behavior from your wife. Now look 
how you create your own misery. You expect a certain fixed behavior from a wife and then you expect your wife to be new. Then you are asking the impossible. If you really want your wife to remain continuously new to you, don't expect. Come home always ready to be surprised and shocked. Then the wife will be new. But she has to fulfill certain expectations. So we never allow our total flux-like freshness to be known to the other. We go on hiding. We don't expose, because the other may not be able to understand it at all. And the wife also expects the husband to behave in a certain way. And of course they manage the roles. We are not living life, we are living roles. The husband comes home, he forces himself into a certain role. By the time he enters the house, he is no more a alive person, he is just a husband. A husband means a certain type of expected behavior. The woman there is a wife and the man there is a husband. Now, when these two persons meet, there are really four persons. The husband and wife, which are not real persons, just personas, masks, false patterns, expected behavior, duties and all that. And the real persons hiding behind the mask, those real persons feel bored. But you have invested too much in your persona, in your mask. If you really want a life which has no boredom in it, drop all masks, be true. And sometimes it will be difficult, I know, but it is worth. Be true. If you feel like loving your wife, love, otherwise say you don't feel like. What is happening right now is that the husband goes on making love to the wife and goes on thinking of some actress. In imagination he is not making love to this woman. In imagination he is making love to some other woman. And the same is true about the wife. Then things become boring because they are no more alive. The intensity, the sharpness is lost. It happened on a railway platform. Mr. Johnson had waited himself on one of those old-fashioned penny machines that delivered a card with a fortune printed on it. The formidable Mr. Johnson plugged it from her husband's fingers and said, Let me see that. 
Ah, it says, you are firm and resolute, have a decisive personality, are a leader of men and are attractive to women. Then she turned over the card, studied it at a moment and said, and they have got the weight wrong as well. No woman can believe that her husband is attractive to other women. Now there is the whole point, the whole crux. If he is not attracted to other women, how she can expect he will be attracted to herself? If he is attractive to other women, only then he can be attracted to her, because she is also a woman. The wife wants him to be attracted to him and not attracted to anybody else. The husband wants his wife to be attracted to him and not attracted to anybody else. Now it is asking something absurd. It is asking as if you are allowed to breathe only in my presence. And when you go to somebody else, you are not allowed to breathe. How you dare to breathe anywhere else? Just breathe when the wife is there. Just breathe when the husband is there. And don't breathe anywhere, breathe anywhere else. Of course, if you do that, you will be dead. And you will not be able to breathe in front of your wife also. Love has to be a way of life. You are to be loving. Only then you can love your wife and your husband. But the wife says, no, you should not look at anybody else with a loving eye. Of course, you manage, because if you don't manage, it creates such nuisance that you manage, by and by, the glimmer in your eyes disappear. You cannot look with love anywhere else. By and by you cannot look with love at your own wife, it disappears. The same has happened to her, the same has happened to whole humanity. Then life is a boredom. Then everybody is waiting for death. Then there are people continuously thinking of committing suicide. Marcel has said somewhere that the only metaphysical problem facing humanity is suicide. And it is so. Because people are so bored. It is simply amazing why they don't commit suicide. How they go on living. Life doesn't seem to give anything. All meaning seems to be lost. But still people go on dragging somehow, hoping someday some miracle will happen and everything will be put right. It never happens. You have to put it light, right. Nobody else is going to put it right. No Messiah is to come. Don't wait for any Messiah. You have to be a light unto yourself. Live more authentically. 
Drop the masks. They are the weight on your heart. Drop all falsities. Be exposed. Of course it is going to be troublesome, but that trouble is worth because only after that trouble you will grow and become mature. And then nothing is old in life. Each moment life reveals its newness. It is a constant miracle happening all around you. Only you are hiding behind dead habits. Become a Buddha if you don't want to be bored. Live each moment as fully alert as possible, because only in full alertness you will be able to drop the mass. Otherwise, you have completely forgotten what is your original face. Even when you stand before the mirror in your bathroom and you are alone there, nobody is there, even standing before the mirror, you don't see your original face in the mirror. There too you go on deceiving. Existence is available for those who are available to existence. And then I tell you there is no boredom. Life is infinite delight. The third question, I feel so much resistance against meditation and I don't have this desire for God you speak about. Is this the right place for me? <laughs> if you feel much resistance against meditation, that simply shows that deep down you are alert that something is going to happen which will change your total life. You are afraid of being reborn. You have invested too much in your old habits, in the old personality, in the old identity. Meditation is nothing but trying to clean your being, trying to become fresh and young, trying to become more alive and more alert. If you are afraid of meditation, that means you are afraid of life, you are afraid of awareness, and the resistance comes because you know that if you move in meditation, something is bound to happen. If you are not resisting at all, that may be because you don't take meditation very seriously, you don't take meditation very sincerely.
then you can play around. What is there to be afraid? Exactly because you are resisting, this is the right place for you. Precisely, this is the right place for you. The resistance shows that something is going to happen. One never resists without any deep cause. You must be living a very dead life. Now you are afraid that something is becoming alive. Something is changing. You resist. Resistance is an indication. Resistance is a very clear indication that you have suppressed much. Now, in meditation, that suppression will sur surface, it will be released. You would also like to be released of the burden, but in that burden there are investments. For example, you may be carrying pebbles in your hands, but you think they are diamonds. And then I tell you, clean yourself. Drop these pebbles. They have become a burden and you cannot move because of them. Now the problem arises. They are pebbles to me and they are diamonds to you. You are burdened, you will like to be unburdened, so you listen to me. You would like to be unburdened, but then you are afraid your diamonds will be lost. And they are not diamonds. Look again at your diamonds. If they are really diamonds, you should be happy. If they are really diamonds, you would not have come to me at all. There was no need. If you have come, it shows that you are seeking. You may say that you are not interested in God. I am also not interested in God. But you are interested in yourself. Are you interested in yourself? Forget all about God. If you are interested in yourself, then precisely this is the place for you. If you are interested in your own well-being, in your own wholeness and health, if you are interested in becoming a blossomed flower, then forget all about God, because in that blossoming you will know what God is. When your fragrance will be released, then you will know what God is. God is your ultimate flowering, your final flowering, your destiny fulfilled is what God is all about. A woman seeing Turner's picture said once, 
making a lot of fuss over him, are not they? I never saw anything in him myself. And another woman said to Turner himself, But you know, Mr. Turner, I never see sunsets like yours. She received the mild yet devastating reply, No, don't you wish you could? When a Turner paints a sunset, of course, he sees a sunset in a totally different way than you can see. He brings all his sensitivity, his whole being to see it. In fact, you may not have ever seen a sunset the way a painter looks at. Turner says rightly, Don't you wish you could? I am here. I know you cannot see what I am talking about. But don't you wish you could? I know many things I am saying are almost nonsense to you. Because to see them, you will have to attain different eyes. To see them, you will have to clarify your being. To see them, you will have to pacify your turmoil within. I know you cannot see the green that I am seeing in the trees. Your green is bound to be very dusty, because your eyes are full of dust. It happened once, a man was staying at somebody's house with a friend. The host and the guest were standing near the window, the window was closed, and in the neighbor's house clothes were hanging to be dried. The host said, These people are very dirty. Look at their clothes. The man looked and he came closer to the window and she said, Those clothes are not dirty. Your window glass is covered with dust. They opened the windows and it was so. Those clothes were not dirty. Life is tremendously beautiful, it is divine. When we say life is a God, we simply say that life is so tremendously beautiful that one feels a reverence for it. That's all. Life is so tremendously beautiful that one feels like worshipping it. That's all when we say life is a God. When we say life is God, we only mean that don't see that life is ordinary, 
It is extraordinary. Tremendous potentiality is there. Just open your eyes. I have never seen a person who is not interested in God. He may not know. Because I have never seen a person who is not interested in happiness. If you are interested in happiness, you are interested in God. If you are interested in being blissful, you are interested in God. Forget all about God, you just try to be blissful. And one day, when you are dancing in your inner bliss, and when the inner juices are flowing, suddenly this life is no more ordinary. Everywhere some unknown force is hiding, and you will see God in the flowers, and in the stones, and in the stars. I talk to you just to plant a seed, a song, a, a star. If you can become happy, you become religious. A happy person is a religious person. Let that be the definition. Not that a person who goes to the church or to the temple, if he is unhappy, he cannot be religious. A religious person is happy. Wherever he is, he is in the temple. A happy person carries his temple around him. I know it because I have been carrying it. I need not go to any temple. Where I am is my temple. It is a climate. It is my own inner juice overflowing. God is nothing but you realized, reached, fulfilled. Yes, I say to you, I have never seen a man who is not interested in God. There cannot be. That man is not possible. Even people who say they don't believe in God are atheists. Are not uninterested in God. They are interested. They are denying, they are saying that they don't believe may be just a trick of the mind to protect themselves. Because once you allow yourself to be possessed by God, you disappear, only God remains. So people who are afraid of being disappearing, moving into non-being, people who are too much egoistic and cannot allow their drop to drop in the ocean, say there is no ocean, that is their trick of the mind, so that they can protect themselves. They are fearful people, afraid, scared of life. If you are interested in being happy, 
this is the place for you. And you are already here. Nobody has brought you, nobody has forced you. You have come on your own. Some inner search may be unaware. You may not be aware of it, has brought you here. Maybe something in the heart and your head may not know anything about it. There are desires, the head is completely unaware. The head is concerned only with rubbish. The heart may have brought you here. Break that resistance. And when you are here, be really here. Don't miss this opportunity. The Greek word in the New Testament for sin is antinomic or anomia. And that means to miss the point or as in archery to miss the mark. Sin, the word sin, comes from a root which means to miss the point, to miss the mark. If you are here and you miss me, that will be a sin. If you are here, then why waste time? Be totally here. Drop the resistance. Or if you cannot be totally here, then go away from here, but go totally away. Then never again remember me. Otherwise that will be a sin. The word sin is beautiful. It has been corrupted by Christianity badly. It has nothing to do with guilt, nothing to do with something bad, evil. It has nothing to do with morality. It has to do something with consciousness. It has nothing to do with conscience, but with consciousness. If you are here, be consciously and totally here. Your unconscious heart has brought you here, groping in the dark. You have come to me. Now don't miss this opportunity. Either be totally here or go away. Turn your back towards me and never remember me again. Because going away, if you remember me, then you will not be totally there, wherever you will be going. Wherever you are, be totally. That's the only way to open the secrets and mysteries of life. And don't be worried about whether you are interested in the concept of God or not. In fact, people who are too much interested in the concept of God will not be able to know Him. I have come across a very beautiful book written somewhere in the Middle Ages by a certain man 
known as Dionysius Exigus. His book is Theologica Mystica. He says in that book that the highest knowledge of God is through what he calls in Greek agnostos, which means unknowing. You must have heard the word agnostic that comes from the same root agnostos. Agnostos means unknowing. And this Dionysius says that God is known only by unknowing. No need to be worried about the concept. No need to accumulate knowledge, theories, doctrines about God. Forget all about the word and the theory. You be simply interested in your happiness, in your bliss, and one day you will find God has entered in you. It is another name of ultimate bliss. The last question. Bhagavan, I have this idea that you don't really exist. When we think that there is someone who lives in your house and who makes things happen to us, it is not really you at all. Could you tell us what this is? And by the way, who is giving the discourse every morning? <laughs> I don't know. Enough for today.